If you would turn with me to Psalm 27. Psalm 27 is a psalm of David, where we see that David has many reasons to fear because of the situations he's in and the people that he is around, but that he also has confidence because God is with him. So this is Psalm 27. It's printed there in your bulletin, or you can turn there in your Bible if you have one with you. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For He will hide me in His shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of His tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is God's word. Please let me pray one more time. Father, we, we ask now that you would help us, that your spirit would work in us, that as we hear your word, we would be changed, and that we would cling to Christ our Savior. And we pray in his name. Amen. So what are you afraid of? What do you fear? When fears get serious, they can sometimes be classified as phobias. There's a lot of phobias these days, ranging from arachnophobia. That's hard to say, by the way. That's the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. There's also scoptophobia, which is the fear of being stared at. Hopefully I don't have that one right now. There's also phobophobia which is, of course, the fear of phobias. And there are many, many more. Yet, in all seriousness, I ask you, what do you fear? Maybe we fear being wrong about something. Or maybe we fear being right, knowing that it might cost us. Maybe we fear getting the coronavirus. Maybe we fear somehow giving the coronavirus to someone else. Maybe we fear the past. Maybe we fear the present. Maybe we fear the future. In our work, maybe we fear failure, or maybe we fear success and the trappings that it brings. 
In our families, we fear what might happen or what might not happen to our loved ones. Maybe we fear death. Perhaps we fear what's going to happen next in life. What do you fear? Psalm 27 raises this question and makes it personal. As David says, Who shall I be afraid? Whom shall I fear? David references several groups of people that he is up against that would certainly induce fear. There's evildoers, adversaries, foes. There's an army. There's war against him. There's enemies. There's false witnesses. There are those breathing out violence. So when David asks this question, whom shall I fear? He's got plenty of candidates. Yet he frames this question within a larger statement about the Lord as God. The Lord is my light and my salvation, he says. The Lord is my stronghold. Therefore, he asks the question, whom shall I fear? This morning, as we move through the psalm, we want to consider how we're to view our fears, how we're to view our trials, how we're to view even life itself by looking at who God is and what he's done and what he's promised to do. How is it that David can say in verse 3, in the midst of a growing number of reasons to fear, that he does not fear? that he is confident. How does David find such assurance? The first thing we see is that David finds assurance in worshiping the Lord. And we will see this mainly in verses 4 through 6. David's priority, where he stands, how he lives, is defined by who God is and what God has done in his relationship to God. The Lord is his light and his salvation, his stronghold in life. No matter what is happening around him, in the advance of his enemies, his priority is worshiping the Lord. We see this in verse 4. He says, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Later he says, He will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. He will sing and make melody to the Lord. For David, being in the presence of the Lord, worshiping the Lord is what gives him confidence in the midst of fears. He longs to dwell with the God who came down to dwell with us. In the Old Testament, we have the temple, we have the tabernacle, we have the tent that are at different points, the dwelling place of God on earth. So David here seems to be reflecting on a lifetime of worship experiences with the bottom line being that he wants to be in the presence of the Lord, in the house of the Lord, to worship and seek him. Verse 4 says he wants to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, inquire in his temple. In the tabernacle, there would be various things that would call to mind the greater reality of God's relationship to his people. The tabernacle itself pointed to God condescending, coming down to dwell with them. At the point of the writing of the psalm, the ark may not have been in the tabernacle, but David would have recalled that the ark of the covenant contained the law of the Lord, his word to his people, that God had revealed himself to them and had spoken to them. In a similar fashion, the bread of the presence was part of the tabernacle, pointing to God's provision. And the altar was a central part as well where sacrifices and offerings were made, pointing to the need for a substitute to shed blood for the atonement of sins. So as David entered into God's house in different times and different places in his life, he would instantly be reminded of all that God had done for his people, and that moved him to worship. 
So friends, this morning, we are those who have the benefit of coming after Christ has come. We know that He tabernacled among us, that He came to dwell with us. We know that He came as the living Word of God, that He came as the bread of life, that He came to live and fulfill the law of God perfectly, to die upon the cross for our sins as the perfect sacrifice, as the Lamb of God, and that He has given us His Holy Spirit to dwell in us. How much more ought we to be moved to worship, to sing and to praise Him for all that He has done for us? It's in worshiping God. It's in seeking His face and looking to Him that we begin to understand how do we deal with our fears? How do we even approach life? Later in the Psalms, in Psalm 73, Asaph is the writer and he expresses frustration that the bad guys seem to be winning. That he knew God was good, but looking around and everything happening around him, he was beginning to become envious of the wicked because of their apparent success, even to the point of bitterness. In the middle of that psalm, he says this, But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. It's in the worship of God as we hear who He is and what He's done, as we sing and proclaim His glory and grace, as we cry out to Him in the midst of anguish, that not only are we assured of His presence with us, but we can begin to actually see and understand what is happening around us. If you're seeking to understand right now what is happening in our world, and your only source is the media, or the government, or the tweets of friends, or some app, or whatever it may be, be prepared to be confused, to be disappointed, to be partially informed or misinformed. It is a wearisome task to understand these things without God. But enter the sanctuary of God, worship Him, seek Him, look upon Him, consider what He has done and promised, and be prepared to see things in a whole new light, whether that's your circumstances or the need of your own heart to be changed. The old hymn says it well, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. So we return to Psalm 27. David's confidence and assurance in the midst of fear does not come from his own ability or the strength of his armies, but it is in the Lord. It is through worshiping God that he is able to recall who God is and what God has done, that he is able to say, Who shall I fear? For he has been in God's presence. But not only is David assured by God's presence as he worships, he's also assured by God's protection. Earlier, we asked the question, what do you fear? And we could follow that with the question, how many of you feel safe right now? In the context of being pursued by many enemies, David declares that his place of safety is with the Lord. Verse 5 says that he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon the rock. David's proclamation of security in verse 5 flows from the worship of God in verse 4. The different words here, shelter, tent, rock, are meant to give a picture of stability and of safety. He is protected and secured because he is with God, who is not only present, but is powerful. 
If only one of those things was true, we could not claim security and protection. But God is both of those things. He is omnipresent and omnipotent. He is everywhere and all-powerful. And the scripture continually reminds us that God is with us in the flip side of that, that therefore we are with him. Think about the times where as a child, you went into a crowded place with your parents. This is obviously pre-COVID-19, right? You go into a crowded place and your eyes kind of get big because there's a lot of people and there's a lot going on. And your mom or your dad takes you by the hand and says, don't worry, come on. You're with me. I've got you. It's that security. It's that safety that David's proclaiming here in Psalm 27. Not only is he to seek the Lord and worship him, he is to be hidden with God, protected in the day of trouble. So David is assured by going to worship God, by being in his presence, having his protection. He's also assured we see now, by God's work on his behalf. We see this in verses 7 and 12. There's kind of a shift in the psalm where David's tone gets urgent. And it seems as if he's been come from the time of worship and been almost thrown back into the fire. Isn't that what life is like sometimes, right? One moment we're resting securely, singing praises to God, and then boom, something hits, some kind of crisis. So David hits a note of urgency here. He says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me. Answer me. But as he does this, he's still taking the same posture that he took in previous verses. He is seeking the Lord in the midst of adversity. He repeats the command that God has given his people in verse 8, where God has said, Seek my face. The seek there is plural. This instruction was not just limited to David. It was for all of God's people. And he responds, my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. There's a lot going on here, but let's focus on this. In times of trouble, with your fears, who or what are you going to seek? Make no mistake, trouble will come. It's going to find you if you don't find it first. It's not a question of if, it's of when. But when it does come, where do you turn? Sometimes we see the word seek, and maybe we think of the term seeker, and we kind of at least have developed this picture uh, in the modern-day church. of A seeker is someone who kind of approaches God from a quasi-neutral perspective with a list of questions that they want God to answer to satisfy their curiosity, almost like an old reporter with their clipboard trying to seek and find their answers. But when we read this psalm, we need to get that picture out of our head because that's not what this is. This is the God of the universe who has said to his people whom he loves and to the king that he has appointed at this time in history, David, he says, you must seek my face. The command to seek his face is given in the context of God's relationship to his people, that they are to worship him and to cry out to him, to pray to him. And the face of God turned towards his people indicates the favor of God. The blessing that God gave to Moses and Aaron in number six to give to the people says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you 
and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. In several other psalms, the psalmists echo this. They cry out for God to make His face shine upon His people. So to seek the face of God is to seek His favor, to seek His blessing. And this is initiated by God Himself. He's the one that says, You come and seek my face to His people. So David responds, With his heart, he says, Your face, Lord, do I seek. He didn't ask God not to turn His face away or to turn Him away, which would indicate God's frown. But instead, he longs to seek the face of God. So let me ask this before we go further this morning. Are we seeking God's face? If you're following Jesus, if you trust in Him alone for salvation, are you continually seeking God's face? Are you coming to Him to worship, to pray, to listen to His word, to commune with Him, to ask Him questions, to bring your troubles and triumphs to Him? to lay hold of the blessing and favor that He has already bestowed upon you? Are you seeking His face? If you aren't following Jesus, if, you, if you've hit the pause button on spiritual things, let me ask you, what would it look like for you to seek God's face? He is a gracious, loving, merciful, and patient God. His grace is plentiful. He has mercy on sinners. He has sent Jesus to atone for our many, many sins. But know this, there is no neutrality. There's no fence riding that you can do. Either you are seeking God's face or you are hiding from Him. One of those leads to life, the other leads to death. There's no in-between, wishy-washy, sort of neutral stance you can take. But if you don't know Him, we invite you today, seek Him. Seek His face. Come and see what the Lord has done for you. As David seeks God's face during his time of trouble, there are two realities that he anchors himself in. One is that he exclaims that God has been his help. He has assurance in present circumstances because of what God has done in the past. He's able to look back on his life personally as well as the life of God's people before him and see where God has intervened on behalf of His people. When I was younger, I was a big fan of the old Batman TV show, the one from the 1960s with Adam West. And so that, that show, it always ended the same way, every single week. And Batman and Robin would be in some hopeless or seemingly hopeless situation. They would usually be tied up in some way, like on a railroad track or something. And you'd wonder what was going to happen to Batman and Robin. And then the narrator would come on. And he would describe the situation and wonder what on earth they were going to do about it. And then he would say, tune in next time. Same bat time, same bat channel. And then you tune in the next time. And lo and behold, Batman and Robin would have figured it out. They would have escaped. They would have defeated the bad guys. And eventually I learned not to be too afraid for Batman. Because based on past history and experience, he would always find a way. David's confidence and assurance in the face of his fears was well-founded in the God who had been his help. 
He could look back at different episodes in his own life and say, there, that's when God intervened. That's when God rescued me. Or there's that time. That's when God made a way. That's where God gave me strength. That's when God fought for his people. He remembered God's faithfulness to him, God's help to him. Ultimately, this moves him in verse 9 to call out, O God of my salvation. He remembered that God has saved him. Friends, this morning, do you remember what God has done for you? Do you look back at your life and recall times of God's providence intervening, intervening or perhaps interfering with you? Where God brought you through something difficult? Do you recall the salvation that He has accomplished for you through Christ and His life and death and resurrection? Do you look back at the history of God's people and see how over and over again God graciously pursued and loved and did mighty works to redeem His people? David here in his desperate prayer reminds us that we need to be good history students. We need to look back and see what God has done and seek His face in present need. So David is assured by going to worship God. David is assured by God's work on behalf of him and his people. David is finally assured by God's goodness to them. The psalm closes with an amazing refrain of hope. David says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. David's assurance not only comes from God's presence and protection and worship and God's past work on his behalf, but it comes from God's goodness to his people. He believes that he will see God's goodness in his life now. This is a tremendous statement of hope, and it's one we need today. In the scriptures, we're giving the picture of living in the tension of what theologians call the now and the not yet. That there are some promises of God that we can see have already been fulfilled or will be fulfilled in this lifetime. Yet there are those that will not be fulfilled into the new heavens and the new earth. In the same way, we, we know that Jesus is making all things new. We get a glimpse, we get a picture of that now. We see it now here in the land of the living. And one day we will see it in fullness in the new heavens and new earth. This hope, this faith in God's goodness comes for David. In this life, he's looking for it now. Even after he has just said this in verse 12. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen up against me, and they breathe out violence. And he goes from that to, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now, how can he do that? How can he make that transition? How can any of us do that? It's only by looking to Christ, the one who was given over to his adversaries, the one who had false witnesses rise up against him, the one who had violence breathed out upon him, who suffered was crucified upon the cross for our sins, yet who in three days was raised to life and later ascended to the right hand of God and is coming again to make all things new. It's this pattern of suffering leading to glory that we see in Christ. This is why we ought not to be surprised when we struggle, when we suffer, when we have fears, when things are difficult. 
But yet we also should not be surprised when we see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And we should actively be looking for God's goodness in the here and now. This psalm ends with an encouragement to wait for the Lord. It's a call for dependence upon Him. It's not based on us. But clearly, this is not a sit on your hands in the recliner and do nothing sort of waiting. This is not the waiting at the doctor or the dentist office. Apologies to our medical professions. They have nice magazines there. This is not that sort of waiting either. This waiting, as it says here in the verse, requires strength and courage. And it's strength and courage that God himself provides to us. And so when God says, wait for the Lord, it's not the, the type of waiting where we're just sitting around. It's almost, just take a battle scene, we'll go with Lord of the Rings, that's my go-to, right? And it's almost as if it's time to go to battle, and the one in charge says, wait. But everyone's got their bow and arrow drawn and is ready. That's the type of waiting we're talking about. To be prepared to join God in the work that He is doing with the strength and courage that He has given So as we receive this word, I want to close with three questions. The first is this. How is God calling you to demonstrate hope right now as you wait for him? Secondly, how how is God at work? How do you see God at work right now in the land of the living? How do you see his goodness currently? And then finally, what does it look like for you and for me to join in that work? To have courage of heart and strength. To fear not. To trust in God's goodness. And demonstrate the hope of the gospel to our neighbors, to our community, to our nation, to our world. Friends, this morning, wait for the Lord. Be strong, let your heart take courage. And wait for the Lord. Please pray with me. Father, we ask now that you would help us to know what it looks like to wait and to be ready. That you would prepare us for what you have called us to this day, this week, this year. That you would equip us with strength and courage. That you would dissolve our fears. That we would worship. That we would be reminded of your good work on our behalf how you have redeemed us and that you would help us to see your goodness in the land of the living. We'll give you the honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.